Bankless Nation. It is the first week of June. David, what time is it? It is roll-up time, where we condense an entire week of crypto news, uh, good tweets, and interesting opinions all into one single episode, which we are trying to condense a little bit more this week because last week is an hour and 45 minutes. We're trying to keep it under an hour and 15 minutes this week. We will see how well we do. Happy Friday morning to you. We get this to you every Friday, either on YouTube, you can watch it there, or on the podcast. We go through markets, releases, news, takes, what we're both excited about, and we end with the meme of the week. David, before we get into this program, we got to talk about Kyber. Dynamic automated market maker. That means if you're a liquidity provider or want to be a liquidity provider, you can deposit into Kyber's new automated market maker and receive more fees. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Kyber is one of the OG's automated market makers in this space. They were an AMM before we called them AMMs. And one of Kyber's really competitive advantage is expressivity. And so they have a bunch of optionality with how fees are collected, how liquidity is provided. And they are opening up their yield farm. KNC rewards for liquidity providers are coming soon. So you can go ahead and front run that opportunity by learning how to be an LP inside of Kyber today and start accruing those KNC fees uh, when those fee rewards get unlocked. So you can go to bankless.cc slash Kyber uh, and start LPing. Check that out. Front run that opportunity, guys. All right, David, you ready to get into the markets? Let's do it. All right, let's start with Bitcoin. We got to start with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is still number one market cap. Who knows? Look, if that changes, I guess we start with a different asset, huh? The, but for the, now it's Bitcoin. No, we, we don't start with Bitcoin. We start with whatever's number one. That's, that's, that's <laughs> there the rule. There you go. That's the rule. Bitcoin is number one. All right, what's Bitcoin doing price-wise? Tell us. Bitcoin, $38,500 at the time of recording. There is a theme throughout all crypto markets, all crypto assets, where we had that low on the 30th. Uh, the 30th of May, and we have been in a six-day uptrend ever since then. So six days of green, uh, which is starting to get people pretty excited. Um, but Bitcoin still is still kind of kind of lagging behind the rest of the crypto assets, really trying to claim that $40,000 level um, because you know 38 the $30,000 range just uh, I don't think is satisfying anyone right now. People people are really looking for 40,000 and above, and so we'll see Struggling. if Bitcoin can get back up there. David, I don't do much TA, but I got this email this morning from somebody, uh, a newsletter I like called Rec Capital, and they talked about this thing called the death cross. Mm -hmm. And they said that Bitcoin might be going through the death cross if it if it just hangs out at its current price uh, as early as June. So I'm not into TA. I think a lot of it is horoscopes. But this, this was sort of interesting to me because this has happened multiple times before mm -hmm. uh, in November 2013, in December 2017 in june 2019 and the death cross is bad apparently because it's gotta, once it happens sounds bad. <laughs> yeah like so to get to a death cross there's usually like a, a 50 to 70 percent off all-time high but once the death cross happens mm -hmm. you lose an additional 50 to 70 percent right. so if this happens in june right and it plays out the way it has historically then we could see another 50 percent off of bitcoin back down to 20k prices anyway Explain what a death cross even is for folks, because I'm not sure I totally understand what's going on here. 
Yeah, so a, a golden cross is when the 50-week exponential moving average, and a, a moving average, for those that aren't deep into charts, is a way to kind of take out the local noise in price actions and kind of do a lagging indicator uh, over time. And so it's kind of easier. It's a, it's a number, a, a lagging number that follows Bitcoin price at various levels of res, uh, resolution, right? And so the 50-week moving average is, uh, you know, lags behind Bitcoin by just, you know, an average over the last 50 weeks, 200-week moving average lags behind Bitcoin or or any or any other asset by 200 weeks and a bullish golden cross happens when the 50 week the short-term price action crosses the 200 week the long-term price action that's a golden cross a death cross is the opposite where the 50 week crosses below the 200 week which means that the short-term price action has been bearish versus the long-term price action and so it's and historically in crypto markets the death cross has predicted as you said like a very strong just like deletion of market cap uh, and in and what uh, Rex Capital is saying is that the 50-week moving exponential moving average is on a collision course with the 200-week moving average. And so if it crosses below it, if, if history repeats itself, then we lose a pretty decent amount of market cap over the next weeks and months following that. Yeah. So what's your take on this? Is this like is certain that it plays out? Because as I said, I think sometimes TA is horoscopes. But again, I'm not a trader. I'm like mm -hmm. I'm thinking about long-term fundamentals of these crypto assets and long-term, of course. The right position has been bullish. I think that's the right position now. But could this mean something bad in the short term uh, for Bitcoin, particularly if that death cross happens? Yeah, it's hard to ignore precedent, right? Uh, and everyone has different opinions as to technical analysis and how legitimate it is, how much it actually works. To some degree, like, I don't really believe in technical analysis, Ryan. I know you don't really believe in technical analysis. And a lot of other people that I talk to also don't believe in technical analysis yet. We are all looking at the charts, doing technical analysis regardless, because <laughs> we're like, talking we're, about it right we're, now. We're talking about it right now, right? And like, I got, I have my charts up, and I like to draw lines on it, even though I don't know what I'm doing. But to some degree, like, if everyone's drawing the same lines and coming to the same conclusions, it can turn into a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, that's uh, kind of that's kind of the gut take for you know, does so then it uh, does, does work? Yeah, <laughs> if, if, if mass psychology, you know, la the layer zero, if everyone believes it works, it kind of works. Uh, we are bringing on Ledger from the Ledger Cast podcast and the Up Only podcast on the State of the Nation on Tuesday, who is much more informed about these things, both with technical analysis and also fundamentals of this space. Uh, and so I'm really excited to get his opinion on it. Uh, Ledger, Ledger has been just growing more and more into an Ethereum bro. And so I'm super happy to bring him on the State of the Nation for I think our first ever like charting and TA themed episode. Uh, we've never done one of those on a bankless State of the Nation. Uh, and so we are going to ask Ledger all of these questions in a much more informed capacity. Next Next Tuesday, starting two hours earlier than normal, so 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Uh, uh, Eastern time on Tuesday for the week that week's State of the Nation. So stay, stay tuned for that. David, I think I'm going to ask him the exact same question, yeah. like about the death cross. Uh, so you're guys, probably going to get a much better answer. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. All right, let's go to ETH really quick. So that's Bitcoin story. What's what's ETH doing to us? ETH is for us. <laughs> ETH is right below two thousand eight hundred dollars. Spent a decent amount of time above two thousand eight hundred dollars yesterday. Dipped right below it as of the time of recording. We are hovering at two thousand seven hundred ninety-six dollars. Uh, and just like Bitcoin, ever since last uh, the the twenty-fourth of May, sit like six plus days of pretty decent uptrend ever since then. Uh, and there is a, a, the, there is a decent level 
level, which we established on like the 20th and 21st at 2,800. Then we hit 2,850 again on like the 27th. And now we are right below 2,850-ish again. Uh, but there's this triangle that's forming. Again, here's me doing it's TA. Trying. It's trying. It's, it's we, we got a triangle. We got a triangle and it's trying to break out of it. Uh, so we'll see if it breaks out of the triangle and see, and, you know, triangles, yay. Um, <laughs> uh, but like the sentiment on crypto Twitter and especially Ethereum Twitter has really picked up steam again. Uh, I tweeted earlier this week. It turns out the cat wasn't even dead. Uh, I think if there was a dead cat bounce, it would have dumped again by now. But we are almost on our seventh day of green greenness. Uh, and so I'm putting as if I ever took it off, but I'm putting my bullish cap back on. Short term bull cap back on. What is what are we looking at here? This is uh, a lot of interesting right. bars. Some are red. Uh, many recently are green. What are we looking at, David? Yeah, this is the monthly can. So every candle in this chart is one a month. This is the ETHUSD monthly candle chart going all the way back until uh, like February of 2017. This is linear. Sometimes uh, when you look at these time frames, you, it's actually kind of best to look in uh, log terms. But really, the the story here is the monthly candle that Ether just printed. It's, it's called a doji candle, which has a massive wick to the top, a massive wick to the bottom, but it, cl it closed, opened and closed roughly at the same price, right? And so the body of the candle is very small. The wicks are huge. Uh, and so basically it's just telling you there's a lot of volatility, but it's just a funny looking candle. And we're going to be looking at this candle for basically the rest of time, right? Because monthly candles are a big deal uh, there's only like uh you know five times 12 of you know, so 60 monthly candles and so one of them is this massive doji candle which went from like four thousand three hundred dollars down to seventeen hundred dollars and then back up to its its close at right around two thousand seven hundred dollars you know it's funny as i look at this and i go back in time if you like zoom in there's like a couple places in 2017 2018 where this happened one is uh you know a july june right july here. yeah 2017 uh -huh. right and like if you zoomed in on that, it would probably yeah. look similar ish, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also um, 2018 February where kind of the market just fell off. Mm -hmm. um, that mm -hmm. looks like a similar candle, like the highs and, and sort of the lows. So that's sort of the question, right? Mm -hmm. Is like, are we just at the midway point of the bull market about to spring oh, yeah. forward higher or is this the end? No, no, it's we're it's halfway point, point halfway point. It, we, we, we know the answer to that. We think we know the answer to that. <laughs> Look, here's a chart that I'm really excited about from a fundamentals perspective too, David. And this is the percent of ETH supply on exchanges. It's getting lower. That means there's less ETH on crypto banks, as we call them, on exchanges, more ETH in DeFi, more mm -hmm. ETH serving its purpose as a self-sovereign money store of value collateral asset. This is the bankless chart, my friend. This means that the world is going more bankless as this as this ratio goes down. So super exciting to see that. Um, it means DeFi is thriving. It means ETH is not custodied in third parties. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's super exciting. I hope we continue to see it mm -hmm. hover around there or maybe go lower. I'm wondering what custodial staking solutions might do to this ratio. There might be a period of time where staking in like places like coinbase or or binance uh becomes very attractive before we have decentralized staking solutions in place but we're going to be monitoring this it's 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 hugely bullish for me to see and i think hugely gratifying to see that as, mm -hmm. as part of the bankless movement Right. If we were seeing this thing go up and to the right, especially, uh, which it would be bad because that means there's more ETH on exchanges. And if we saw that during a bull market, that would be like really bearishness for like banklessness as a like concept. Right. 
But we had, the, we had this massive choppy like last two weeks, right? And you can see that chop in both the inflows and outflows. There's just a lot of volatility with people putting Ether into exchanges, pulling Ether out of exchanges. Uh, but one of the reasons why I'm pretty convicted that we are just in the second half, we have just entered the second half of the bull market is because that downtrend is still following the trend that it was following before the, before the, the big sell-off, right? Uh, and so Ether largely, uh, price action and price discovery of crypto assets largely happens on centralized exchanges because that's just the way that it goes. Ether is unique because it can also come to price discovery on uh, on in DeFi, but DeFi kind of has been following CeFi like um, and centralized exchange uh, you know price discovery because like when institutions come in, they're not buying Uniswap Ether on Uniswap, right? They're not buying it on SushiSwap or any of the DEXs. They go to Coinbase, they go to Gemini, like they buy and discover and Ether comes to price discovery from new buyers on centralized exchanges. And so when we are only at 11% of Ether supply on exchanges and falling, that means Ether price can move really, really quickly when there are big buyers coming in. And DeFi tends to follow C5 valuations. And so uh, what this really, the, the TLDR is, is that Ether is primed for price discovery. As soon as any meaningful buyer steps in, it's going up into the right. There you go, up into the right. Uh, let's talk about ETH to Bitcoin. The Speaking ratio of other that things that's going up into the right. Not quite up into the right, you know, oh, but like uh, going up, right? Since recent. So so talk to us about this because this mm -hmm. is not quite a, a local high, mm -hmm. but it's certainly recovered mm -hmm. from its lows a couple of weeks ago. So again, the ETH Bitcoin ratio uh, is a determiner of the strength of ETH versus the price strength of Bitcoin. What's mm -hmm. happening here? Yeah, so when there was like basically Ethereum flipping week or weeks where everyone was talking about the flipping, we hit that high just above 0 0.08 ETH per BTC. Um, when we had three arrows on, three arrows <laughs> capital, right? Top. Like every, like all the Ethereum people were gloating, like uh, guilty, uh, and and then we had that big that big sell off, and Ether fell all the way back down to point uh, like point zero five seven ish per BTC. Uh, and ever since then, we have kind of resumed the trend that has been established since like April, which is, you know, we, we kind of went up too fast. We corrected a little bit, but we are resuming the trend. Uh, and then that's why it's not a dead cat bounce. That's why we are in the second half of a very long bull market. Uh, and that's why your boy is bullish. Some strength on that ratio. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually really good to see that. Let's talk about the strength of DeFi. That's our next section. Total locked value in DeFi. It's recovered some. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's highs were around 88 billion total locked in DeFi. That's in US dollar terms, of course. Uh, now it's back up to 70 billion. Mm -hmm. Not doing too bad. 69 billion, nice, locked in DeFi. Uh, and it kind of looks like the same chart as both the ETH, ETH USD chart, the ETH BTC chart, and now the TVL and DeFi chart. Uh, went up, it was long, long trend up and to the right, went really, really fast in May, corrected in, in late May, early June, and now is resuming an up and to the right trend. All, all these charts kind of look the same. Let's let's talk about the, uh, the DPI index. So this is a good indice measure of how well DeFi tokens are doing. This is looking kind of, I've got the three month pulled up. It's sort of flat on the three month, but yeah. if you look at it on the weekly, it's also flat it's on also the weekly. Flat. What's this What's this showing us? Yeah, it, DeFi tokens have really lagged behind uh, the bigger crypto assets like Bitcoin and Ether. Um, it, they have also recovered from their capitulation lows uh, during the sell-off and, and then uh, the, the almost again sell-off that happened on the 30th of May. Um, 30th of May, it dropped all the way down to 320, but now we are up to $407 per DPI token. Uh, and uh, you know, recovering, but not recovering as fast as Ether or Bitcoin. 
you know what? I, I I really think that DeFi tokens are in sort of the buy zone. Like there's mm-hmm. some deals out there. I mean, we talked mm-hmm. last week about the YFI token. Its price to earnings ratio for May was like 12. Mm-hmm. You know, like DeFi tokens are not getting the love maybe that they should be. And I'm wondering what layer two actually unlocks for them as far as fees, transaction volume, revenue. Remember, these are capital assets. So if they were priced based on fundamentals, they would respond quite strongly to that. Of course, the market is all about, crypto market is all about narratives though. Mm -hmm. And right now, DeFi tokens are not the dominant narrative, but that might mean there's some buying opportunities out there. Yeah, and if we think, we'll, we'll talk about this later in the rollup, but if we think that we are on the cusp of a DeFi Summer Layer 2 edition, uh, you want DeFi assets because your people are going to be needing to buy assets to farm with them as they did in DeFi Summer Round 1. Uh, and so like, if you think that yield farming on, on Layer 2s is around the corner, you need to start allocating to DeFi tokens because that's how you're going to farm. If and history repeats allocate- itself. And you want to allocate to the right ones too. Mm-hmm. Like which ones have great layer two strategies? Is oh, I have opinions on mind. that. I have opinions oh, on that. Oh, yeah? we we'll should talk about that later. Okay, let's talk cool. about it later. Okay. All right. First, let's get to this because inflows have been really interesting into the DPI. DPI, of course, is mm-hmm. an index of itself of many of the top DeFi token assets led by the index co-op, which is a DAO. But this is Lemonade Alpha saying DPI inflows are going crazy, mostly led by whales. He's got some charts here. What are we looking mm-hmm. at? Yeah, we are looking at the increased uh, unit supply of DPI, right? And so DPI price goes up if the underlying assets go up in price, but DPI, DPI supply goes up when people have demand for DPI, right? And so people buying DPI doesn't make the DPI price go up. It makes the unit supply go up. And the unit supply going up, it's having it's one of its largest growth periods in its in, in its history right now. And what he's saying is, uh, what Lemonade Alpha is saying, who's part, part of the index co-op team, uh, is that it's primarily led by people that are buying more than 250 uh, DPI units, right? And so if uh, DPI is at $417, uh, and they're buying more than 250 units that people are allocating $100,000 lots at a time. And that's more than 50% of the people who are buying DPI. David are, just are did that math in his head. I know I didn't. I literally just no calculator. The no, I was. Oh, right. I was on the cal- did you not on. see that? Did that, did that. that? That make it to the oh, that did not make it to the camera. Yeah, yeah no, that was a no. This is this is for the podcast people. I was you know I was gonna. You know. <laughs> I'll cut it out of the podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, fifty oh, percent and above are are people buying hundred thousand dollar units of DPI, uh, and so whales are accumulating DeFi tokens. There you go. That's the story here. All right, but what's the story with the DPI to ETH? index. That's another mm-hmm. one we've been tracking. This is sort of an indicator of how hot DeFi tokens are relative to ETH. And mm-hmm. that's staying flat. It's staying flat. It's right above the 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 line that I called the, the low at, which was 0.13. Uh, that's where I called the, the bottom of the DPI versus ETH chart. We are still above it. We are still above it, but not by a healthy margin. Uh, and so we are currently at 0.146 uh, DPI per ETH per DPI. Yes, ETH per DPI, uh, and it's still in the, like this kind of long-term downtrend channel-ish since April. Has not yet broken out of a very long, steep like downtrend. It's going to at some point. Uh, it, it, it feels Look like it's this. Going this to, yeah. is DeFi summer-ish, the mm-hmm. end of DeFi summer. Right. Look how much higher it was. Right. And and that's the bull case for DeFi tokens is a returning to DeFi summer levels, which is basically a, a two to three x versus Ether. Uh, not in not versus dollars, but versus ether, uh, and like I, I think it's it, there's it, there's a ticking time bomb until that happens, in my opinion. 
versus ether is interesting i mean if they both go up together david then this ratio doesn't move so we'll have to see how that right. plays out mm -hmm. um well let's talk about something that is playing out in a big way that is this DeFi exchange volume dex volume uh just shooting right up like mm -hmm. absolutely massive if you include things like pancake swap then the volume was over 300 billion last mm -hmm. month i don't know if i I would include PancakeSwap. There's I'll put a lot an of, asterisk ne next to it. There's an asterisk there. But yeah. it, DeFi exchange volume is growing. Of course, during the recent uh, downtrend, DeFi exchanges were the only ones left standing for mm -hmm. a brief period of time. They consumed mm -hmm. all of the volume. It, it, they performed pretty spectacularly, yep. I would say, uh, with a 60 to 70% drop and just like seeing some super impressive volumes mm -hmm. that are absolutely dwarfing anything we saw in 2020. Any takes here? Yeah, liquidity providers during the last two weeks got absolutely paid. Uh, and so if you have been learning about Uniswap V3, congrats. I bet you got a decent amount of uh, fees in the last couple of weeks. Uh, since March, so for the last two, two months or three months, we have 2x DEX volumes consistently. So March was just below 100 billion. April was just below 200 billion. And now we are just above 300 billion monthly DEX volume. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, this this another cool way to look at dex volume which is the dominance of dex volume for eth or erc20 pairs and this is particularly uh uniswap volume versus coinbase volume look at this david mm -hmm. uniswap is absolutely killing coinbase in terms of usdc to eth um 784 million volume on uniswap versus 59 million volume on coinbase like absolutely, what is mm -hmm. that? I mean, like 15X or something, something mm -hmm. close to that. Mm -hmm. ETH to Bitcoin, Uniswap's doing more volume than Coinbase on ETH to Bitcoin. This is of right. course wrapped Bitcoin, but same, same. Mm -hmm. ETH to USDT, Uniswap is even even beating Coinbase on that. Right. It's like, these numbers blow me away, dude. Like I would not have imagined this as possible in 2020 for Uniswap to just like start dominating Coinbase in terms of exchange volume. And we're in the middle of a bull run, mm -hmm. right? Like, so mm -hmm. how does this happen? What's going on? Uh, it's the protocol sync thesis playing out. Uniswap is easier to use. DeFi is easier to use than CeFi. Uh, and if you're a newcomer, that that statement might seem foreign to you. But as you become more and more used, like just used to how DeFi works, all of a sudden, like these DeFi apps are just like the shelling point as to where to go. Uh, liquidity straight up better in DeFi and usability straight up better. Uh, and so, like, yeah, the, the protocol sync thesis predicted this. And guess who wins when that happens? Uh, Hayden Adams with another tweet here. Hyper efficient stablecoin trading on Uniswap V3 has already resulted in one coinbase Tr pro reducing their fees um by a hundred percent their maker mm -hmm. fees and their taker fees by 98 percent and curve increasing the efficiency amplification across its pools as well so when a, a new better more capital efficient DeFi protocol machine we talked about these things being like money robots like mm -hmm. everyone's all of these money robots are at war with each other for liquidity who benefits DeFi users benefit. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Crypto natives benefit. Um, like, like keep these wars going, man, because we're we're just getting better, more capital efficient markets. And this is why, by the way, David, these these markets are going to eat the rest of the traditional financial world mm -hmm. because they they're in be this like, compete. yeah, like they're in this like kind of um, Darwinian jungle here, mm -hmm. and they're, like they're at war and they're like leveling up and getting better, and it's complete survival of the fittest. 
traditional finances outside of the jungle somewhere else. But once these organisms adapt, right, and once they break out of the jungle that they're in, they will start eating NASDAQ, eating mm-hmm. York Stock Exchange, eating the rest of the traditional financial world, and the banks won't know what hits mm-hmm. them. Right. That's the DeFi bull case. Yeah, the, the takeaway that I have from this is that like Coinbase and another DeFi protocol had to forego capturing fees because of the competition that Uniswap V3 uh, put on the table, right? It's like, oh, uh, like the only reason why Coinbase was able to, to capture those fees was because they, there wasn't really a viable alternative. Therefore, they had the best product and they would charge fees for it. They no longer have the best product. And now they had to basically eliminate their stable coin trading fees because of what Uniswap V3 brought to the table. You know what's kind of cool, a byproduct of this, David, is now that Coinbase is a publicly traded company, the Wall Street analysts are going to be like looking into Coinbase's revenue and be like, oh, why did we have to reduce maker fees right. by 100%? Where, oh, yeah. it's because yeah. a DeFi protocol, Uniswap? Like, what is this thing? Which has a and token that we can Coinbase? buy? Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. That's how they learn about mm-hmm. Uniswap and mm-hmm. DeFi and the token. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's all going to play out that way, I think. Totally. Um, all right, let's talk about flipping metrics. Here are a few. Should we just read these out? Why don't you yeah, start? Let's burn through these. There's eight total metrics uh, with graphs to go on the screen. ETH flipped BTC in several metrics in May. Many metrics are now measured in the trillions or are close to it. First metric is total adjusted on-chain volume increased by 35% to a new all-time high of $1 trillion combined with Bitcoin and Ether. The second and and is- Ether is the majority of that volume, like 60-40-ish. Oh, wow. Not other stable coins, it's either, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's not other mm-hmm. ERC-20s. All right, this is the second. Adjusted on-chain volume of stable coins increased by 52% to a new all-time high of $766 billion. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. What do we got next? Uh, next up, while BTC miner revenue continued to decrease by 15% to $1.5 billion, Ether miner revenue increased by 42% to a new all-time high of $2.35 billion. Uh, this is the first time since June 2017 that Ether miner revenue exceeded Bitcoin miner revenue. And miner revenue is blockchain security. And security is basically the fundamental reason why this whole industry works. Uh, and so Ethereum miners are being compensated better than Bitcoin miners in this current month. David, Ethereum, the more economically secure network now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Last month for, it was. For, for this month. For month this month. month. Yeah, month of May. Mm-hmm. Um, legitimate centralized exchange spot volume increased by 38% to a new all-time high. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Making it the fourth time this has ever happened. Wait, like, oh, this is uh, on-chain volume of ETH as an asset. Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, no, legitimate centralized exchange spot volume increased by 40%. Um, uh, and so this is just a, this is just all the exchanges out there are experiencing more volume. So kind of just a bull market indicator. It's just the volume on and centralized exchange is going up and to the right. Ah, that's not related to you flipping no. at all. These, um, these daily... are flippings in general. General, ah, general I flipping. I see. Okay. So it's not ETH to Bitcoin uh, flipping. It's just flippings in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. Daily average volume of GBDC stabilized at 419 million. That's that's really good because the GBTC uh, uh, lack of premium, the whatever it's the dying. opposite of a premium, it, it has been yeah. dying, but now it start it hit a floor so far and starting to resume parity, which is kind of like people are breathing a, a sigh of relief on that one. Thought that would happen. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it is. Uh, what's this next one? Bitcoin future volumes increased by 30% to a new all-time high of $2.5 trillion in the month of May. Binance alone traded a trillion dollars in Bitcoin futures. 
Jeez, I mean, these crypto banks are just crushing it in terms mm -hmm. of fees. Um, mm -hmm. As for ETH futures, volume increased sharply by 100%, almost mm -hmm. 100%, 94%, to a new all-time high of 1.7 trillion. Ether as well becoming financialized as a reserve crypto asset. What's the last one? However, the real story is on the derivatives front continues to be ETH options. The trade volume of Bitcoin and Ethereum options in a monthly has increased up to 60%. Uh, and so Ether, Ether um, uh, futures uh, volume going really strong up into the right and is now consume, is 60% is as large as Bitcoin volume, uh, future volume trading. So pretty cool. Yeah, David, I, I saw that um, Ether went from like basically nothing relative to uh, Bitcoin in futures volume on Darabit mm -hmm. in uh, 2019, 2020 to, to now getting closer to parity mm -hmm. and maybe actually flipping mm -hmm. Darabit if the trend continues uh, flipping on Darabit volume. Anyway, lots of good stuff going on. David, we're going to get to releases in just a minute. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this roll up possible. Synthetics is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetics is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetics. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders, developers can build on synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out Quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, guys, we are back with the hot releases. David, we got to start here. Arbitrum. Man, Arbitrum is everything I thought it would be. After our conversation with them on City of the Nation on Tuesday, I'm super excited about this project, about rollups in general. Uh, they just launched their developer 
mainnet beta. Can you describe what's included in that launch? Right. So Arbitrum has like, you know, cut the red tape and allowed the developers to enter this new land, the new Arbitrum real estate, the new suburb of Ethereum. Uh, and on the suburb of Ethereum, things go really, really fast for really, really cheap. Uh, and f- as far as a user experience goes, like I haven't, we haven't experienced this ourselves because right now it's developers only. But basically this is like, um, if you've used a Polygon bridge, much like that, but I think even faster as a bridge, but you just go into MetaMask and then once your when your money is over on Arbitrum, you just go and pick the Arbitrum network. And then all of a sudden you're in like the super fast highway that is Arbitrum. Uh, and, and so Arbitrum has already had like a number of projects. I think they said over 250 projects express interest in building on Arbitrum. There are some projects that have already released um, the fact that they have finished building and now are ready, almost ready to open up to users. Uh, SushiSwap, Uniswap, Dodo Dex, Alchemy, MC Dex. Uh, all of these teams are building on Arbitrum building out the rides for all the users to come on, right? Uh, and so right right now it's developers only because developers have to go build the things for the users to use. Uh, but users are coming, like I think to Arbitrum, maybe as early as next week. I bet I bet you the first thing is going to happen is uh, SushiSwap is going to release because they are just known for moving really, really fast. Uh, Ryan, we were, you, we were talking earlier about which particular DeFi tokens are going to be well suited to a DeFi Summer Layer 2 edition. And I think SushiSwap is at the top of that list just because they are known to just pound out integrations and new products. Uh, and I, I, so I'm, I kind of think that SushiSwap is going to be the first thing that is available on Arbitrum. Uh, but so many other projects are coming right on the heels of SushiSwap. Uh, and so congrats to Arbitrum, congrats to all the teams building on Arbitrum, and congrats to all the users who really have just felt uh, sidelined by high gas fees on Ethereum. Congratulations, Arbitrum may be your new home. Yeah, and this is happening fast. Like David said, the builders are building out the rides, but the reality is what they can actually do is just port the rides that they had from another era of the theme park into Arbitrum. When we asked the Arbitrum folks how long it takes to move smart contracts from mainnet into Arbitrum, they're like, um, copy and paste a few hours. <laughs> yeah, like a couple days. Mm-hmm. Like you got to test it, of course. Yep. But this is EVM compatible, which means you can sort of hot swap some of these contracts. And there are some small changes, but not a lot. So super optimistic that this is coming soon. David said next week, maybe. Um, might take a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. this is definitely a summertime thing. This mm-hmm. is definitely a June, July thing. Um, you know, I so super exciting. Anyway, this is great. Great yep. stuff. We're gonna talk more about that toward the end. I said I said this uh, last week, but the this changes everything about Ethereum. Yes. Like L2s and specifically this type of construction of L2s has been like, you know, anticipated since even before the first block of Ethereum was mined. Uh, and so like this is a big deal. Yeah, well, we just talked to Vance Spencer. Mm -hmm. Um, That's coming out on Monday, guys. Monday podcast. Tune Mm -hmm. into that. Vance Spencer is a a VC at Framework Ventures. We talked extensively about Layer 2 and what it means. It is a major step change. So make sure you tune into that episode too for more. Okay, Coinbase links its Visa debit card with Apple Pay and Google Pay. So now I'm just questioning like why we need traditional banks. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like if I could... If I could just use Coinbase and DeFi or Gemini and DeFi, Mm -hmm. that's all I need, man. I don't need Wells Fargo. I can pay my bills. Like, I don't think the banks realize what is coming for them. Right. They don't think of Coinbase as a bank. They think of it as a crypto exchange, and that's their fault. Uh, That's going to be their downfall. Uh, I would much ha- rather have my like gusto direct deposit go straight to Coinbase. That would be fine. I can choose to, at Coinbase. I can choose like, do I send it out to like the real world well, to buy my coffee, or do I send it out to Ethereum? Well, to let me ask farm? you, what's 
what's stopping you? I know you legit have a Wells Fargo account. Okay. <laughs> oh, so do Brian, I. Legit. Don't profession. dox me like that. <laughs> Sorry. I doxed you, bro. <laughs> okay. So I know you have one. What's stopping <laughs> yeah, you? Is that me? a threat? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it exists. I've seen you at Wells Fargo. <laughs> I know where those checks go, those paper checks. Um, okay. But like, what's stopping you from shutting that thing down, man? I, I know it's not the savings rates. <laughs> That's very true. It's because like 0. I gotta 1%. pay, I gotta pay rent, and I gotta pay my credit cards. But after that, like nothing stays in my bank account. There you go. It's yeah. over. It's mm -hmm. over, guys. They don't mm -hmm. know it yet, but it's mm -hmm. over. Anyway, rip banks. Let's go. Gnosis. What's Gnosis doing? Uh, Gnosis partnering with uh, the Open Ethereum client to make a, a new Ethereum One client called Aragon, spelled E-R-I-G-O-N. Uh, and so this has kind of been an evolution of a long-standing Ethereum client. Uh, a fork of Geth turned into Turbo Geth, turned into Open Ethereum, which is now Aragon. Uh, and so we have a brand new Ethereum One client that is uh, being maintained by Gnosis. Uh, and we have heard some really rave reviews from some developers in this space. Here's Bantag out of the uh, urine team said, Aragon is so, with three O's, good. Can you imagine scanning uh, traces from the entire history of Ethereum in under five seconds? It can do that. Uh, and so <laughs> even crazy. Ethereum 1 innovation still still moving forward at a, at a solid tick rate. Yeah, I'm glad. And this actually means, so, so um, Gnosis is sort of an ecosystem contributor, the public good, which is the Ethereum protocol. They took over the old parity client. They're shutting that code base down in favor of this turbo geth code base because i think it's just better so um really excited about that let's let's talk about what argent is doing argent one of our favorite smart contract wallets now has a more secure and convenient way to provide liquidity to uniswap v3 one button argent mm -hmm. user interface is just immaculate i feel like david the thing that has held argent back to this point is not being on layer two mm -hmm. but like once they're on layer two, they have integrations like this yep. where it's one click into Uniswap. It's it's yeah, over. Right. It's going to be just a really exciting uh, user experience in DeFi. Any takes here? Yeah. The other innovation is that there's actually multiple transactions being bundled all into one. Uh, and so yes. that's also really the through line here. So you have uh, when you LP for Uniswap, you have to approve two tokens and then deposit, right? So one approval, second approval, and then a depositing transaction. Argent has this bundled all into one single transaction. And this is also a story of Ethereum block space being consumed more efficiently. Rather than three separate transactions, we're bundling it into one. It's it's more less time for the user. It's less block space demand by the consumers. Uh, and so, you know, people often forget that a very, very real way to scale Ethereum is to do the same things while finding innovative ways to consume less block space. And that's what's going on here. Do you know, like, uh, cussing your, your private keys, that sort of thing with uh, Ledger and MetaMask, it's still clunky today, right? Mm -hmm. People are asking about, like, what's when's that Venmo experience coming? Argent, any sort of smart contract wallet like Argent, mm -hmm. plus Layer 2, plus these DeFi protocols, right? Give it a year, it's going to be better than Venmo. Yep. Like, yep. it's going to be way better than, give it two years, mm -hmm. it's going to be 5x better, sure. 10x better. Sure. Like, this is happening so fast. I'm super excited about it. Um, Vitalik predicted this too when we had him on mm -hmm. the podcast in December. Mm -hmm. Smart contract, layer two native uh, wallets. Okay, let's talk about this. This is um, Maker's multi-chain strategy. This is directly from their governance forms. I mm -hmm. think it's interesting because Maker, of course, is one of the oldest DeFi protocols. They've stayed primarily on Ethereum to date, but now they're looking at a multi-chain future. The question for them is how will DeFi grow and where will the liquidity go? 
that's how DeFi protocols make these decisions. What's uh, what's the story here? Yeah, Maker is actually newly a completely a DAO because the foundation has basically sunsetted. Uh, there are a few people working for the foundation left really just to wrap things up, but, but Maker is now completely a non-centralized entity that is uh, DAO only. And the DAO is saying, hey, let's capture more fees. Uh, and so Maker has started to, to have conversations about putting MakerDAO on different uh, chains, putting DAI on different chains, right? So not only Ethereum and not only Ethereum L2s like Polygon and XDAI, but also non-Ethereum non chains like Polkadot, Cosmos, and Solana. Uh, and so this is, a, this is a, just a good you know, business first move. If there are fees out there to capture, you should go capture it because if you don't, someone's going to capture them for you with their clone of your project. So you better just get there first. Uh, and so so MakerDAO, I, I, it's, it, I don't know to what degree are they actually putting a the MakerDAO facility on Solana or on Polygon or, or on Polkadot, um, but at the very least, they are putting DAI there, and DAI demand on Polygon, DAI demand on Solana ultimately feeds back to MKR value capture on Ethereum, and so MakerDAO really pushing the fold. Yeah, it, it's funny because th their preference is for EVM compatibility, right? Because mm -hmm. they've invested so much and also for uh, permissionless decentralized, decentralized chains. That's kind of their preference, but they're open to other mm -hmm. layer ones at all. And what I would say is if you want to truly understand where this industry is going, look where the builders are going, right? Like that that's your map. Mm -hmm. I mean, at some level, like what David and I say or what some other like what a venture capitalist who's pitching the Solana layer one because they really want you to buy soul tokens. What they say doesn't really matter. It's about what where the builders go and what they believe. Because like builders are making a huge investment. Like where are we going to spend our precious developer resources next? Is it on an Ethereum layer two? Is it on another you know competing layer one? Um, we'll see. So read this post. It'll give you great insight. I think there's some alpha leaks there if you're paying attention. David, let's get directly to the news, my friend. Uniswap just made CCTV. That's China, uh, ch uh, Chinese TV, China Central Television, talking about <laughs> Uniswap. That's what that is. Okay, so they're talking about it in the context of how to avoid scams. Right. But here's what's so hilarious to me is actually they're showing you how to use Uniswap on TV broadcast mm -hmm. to like, I'm not sure how many millions of people in China. Mm -hmm. um, and Hayden's tweet is kind of funny on this. Step one, China blocks Uniswap interface. I guess maybe they have already. Right. Step two, China demos Uniswap interface on CCTV. Step three, question mark, what happens? I mean, like, isn't this just playing into... Isn't this the nation state? Somebody kind of somebody fucked up. It, oh, excuse me. Excuse me. You think so? I think I think somebody had a had an oopsies. Uh, somebody did not think about because like the the Uniswap um, the Uniswap. Uh, if you look on the on the screen, it says the decentralized exchange. What is more antithetical to China than something that is decentralized? Uh, and so I don't think so, somebody didn't wasn't informed enough to put two and two together about how this technology is extremely subversive to the state and specifically China, which wants to have total totalitarian control something like uniswap is exactly what they don't want and they are accidentally like broadcasting this on their internal like closed circuit television channels it's hilarious it's like the more they say don't look at this don't talk about this don't use this the more people are going to get interested in it so they are propagating the narrative that is the value of decentralization um but there is a little bit of like i guess double speak going on in China, I feel like, because mm -hmm. here is a, a story that broke about China's digital one effort. And this is a, a spokesperson 
for the central bank digital currency that uh, China is building and talking about it potentially being available on Ethereum too. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that because if you're a central bank digital currency, you want to invade all of the other economies of the world. And by invade, I just mean like you want your currency to be represented and to accrue value and to be used as a unit of exchange, medium uh, unit of account, medium of exchange store value in those economies. And what is Ethereum? Ethereum is just another economy. Mm -hmm. But this story is interesting because I do see that's an inevitability of central bank digital currencies. They will absolutely want to be on smart contract networks like Ethereum. And it looks like the nation state is, is paying attention to these developments. Right. They see the power of smart contracts and DeFi and programmable money. Mm -hmm. And they're looking to kind of marshal that as well. Yeah, China definitely wants its yuan to be as close to the world's reserve currency as possible. They are very jealous that that's what the dollar is. And so naturally, they want to claim DeFi real estate as like the future of economies, right? If the future economic you know activity of the world is on DeFi, then the, the digital yuan needs to be there. I'm reminded of our uh, Josh Rosenthal episode where to some degree, like it's a lose-lose for China either way, right? Because like, are they really going to become the world's reserve currency by invading DeFi? Not really. The only people, like not even the Chinese want the digital yuan is forced upon them and so if they want to claim that real estate they have to put the digital yuan there but then that means that they give on ramps and off ramps to people who are using the digital yuan who want something else like dollars or ether or bitcoin right and so they are giving an exit opportunity to people that use the yuan it's damned if you do damned if you don't yeah, you know what? Long term, I think the authoritarian states uh, play is whatever state it is, whether the U.S. goes in that direction or whether it's uh, China continues. It's like I feel like it's a it's a state controlled Binance chain, yep. essentially. So you get the programmable money, but you also have the state surveillance mm -hmm. and the control over the mm -hmm. entire economic system. Yep. Right. Um, they're not there yet. That right. might. But like that is the threat for how I don't think at this point um, nation states ever turn off cryptocurrency because they can't and they know they can't they know to your point just plays right into their hands but they will try to co-opt it mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. and I, mm -hmm. I feel like the binance chain gives like sort of early roadmap indication of how that might be co-opted you just make it super useful right easy for everybody mm -hmm. like integrated mm -hmm. in your life mm -hmm. uh, but oops we have all of the buttons to stop transactions right. censor mm -hmm. transactions cut you out of the world's economic system make you disappear uh, on chain make, and then off chain scary okay um, Ether has a high chance of eclipsing Bitcoin as crypto's dominant store of value. Wow, it sounds like something bankless might say, but it's not bankless. <laughs> this is banked. This is saying it. Um, look, man, let's I don't not know. let's not provide any legitimacy to Goldman Sachs and their opinions yeah, as to what they say about <laughs> who cares crypto. Cares what they think about crypto, uh, but they must have a, a position though. It's a headline that a lot of yeah. people are reading. That's the through line here. Is like Goldman Sachs, a lot of people listen to Goldman Sachs, even though we don't listen to Goldman Sachs, they are making this headline available to the world. So that's like the takeaway here. They, they must have a position too, in order to say that. That's usually um, what Goldman Sachs is up to. All right, here's something interesting that happened bitwise. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of an institutionally friendly way to get access to all sorts of crypto assets, but in particular in this case, DeFi tokens bitwise. Actually, no, this is not their DeFi. This no, is their yeah. uh, large cap crypto index. Okay, yeah. excuse me. I don't me. think Sorry. that counts as a DeFi token just because it's on Ethereum too. Right on. So so uh, Bitwise has a whole bunch of more centralized, institutionally friendly mm -hmm. indices where you can get exposure to crypto assets. I've long like hated kind of their large cap crypto index, not because it's a bad index. It's a no good index. No fault of their own. They just don't no have good, of their good own. selection. 
just so much garbage in there. And there's been mm -hmm. garbage uh, mm -hmm. from the get-go, like like things like you know XRP, things that don't have a chance to right. succeed as right. a um, a store of value. But anyway, um, Polygon has entered the Bitwise 10 large cap crypto index for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super interesting. This is the first, number one, it, I guess it's the first of two things. W number one, it's the first layer layer two mm -hmm. or side chain, I should say, um, from Ethereum to be like ported into the the top 10. Um, the other thing is the interesting part of this is the, the asset that it kicked out is um, from Cosmos, their, oh. their asset, Atom. Oh. And, you know, Cosmos, talked for a very long time about becoming the internet of chains right. by creating sort right. of a, a parallel universe to Ethereum. So there's some irony here, which is like Matic is taking a similar playbook and design. It's the same value prop. It, same value prop, but it's making sort of Ethereum as a settlement layer, mm -hmm. it's internet of chains. Mm -hmm. And there's some irony in it just booted Adam from the right. top 10 slot. Any takes right. here? Yeah, my, my take here is that this is uh, something that we've talked about, interestingly, in the Ethereum ecosystem for years now. There is a bunch of absolute crap in the top 10 of crypto assets. Uh, you know, it, I don't think Litecoin is, or Bitcoin Cash is there anymore, but they used to be in the top 10. Uh, and then there were very legitimate, very real DeFi tokens that just were in like 50 and below. Uh, and so a big narrative in 2018 and 2019, and even 2020, was that like eventually there's going to be a repricing, a uh, repricing, a repricing. <laughs> Between, between just the crap like EOS uh, and Litecoin with actual real DeFi tokens with, with cash flows. And, and this is what we are seeing here is we are seeing Ethereum native infrastructure being repriced into large cap top 10 DeFi uh, uh, tokens. Um, to be honest, I kind of wish it hadn't pushed out Cosmos because of all the things in the top 10. Cosmos isn't is actually kind of a nice asset. In Cosmos has some traction. Right. It's, yeah. I wish it had pushed out things like Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash. Uh, but like the comparison between Cosmos getting pushed out by something that is basically the same value prop, but Ethereum specific is interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, David, NFT world, there's always stuff going on in NFT space, but I picked this one out. This was an article written by our own William Peaster in Metaversal, which if you're not subscribed to Metaversal, this is a great place to get updates on what's going on in the NFT space. But he wrote an article about how to get virtual land on Ethereum, right? Like in the metaverse, actually buying digital property, buying digital real estate, right? So I've long thought about this, like, okay, own cryptocurrencies. When is the right time to start buying digital parcels of land? Mm -hmm. And like, you can do that on something called Sandbox, uh, Decentraland, which has been a long time VR type project on Ethereum. Crypto Voxels, which listeners may be f familiar with. Um, I've not mm -hmm. heard much about. Uh, <laughs> how do you even say this? Somnium. Somnium. Somnium space. Anyway, like I started thinking about when there will come a point in time mm -hmm. when it is the right time to buy virtual land, right? I haven't fallen in love with a VR digital environment right. yet where I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. I can't not have property here. <laughs> but like there will come a time mm -hmm. when I anticipate jumping into the space here. What's your take on this? Do you own any virtual land? 
Yeah, I do not own any virtual land. Um, okay. I feel like it's the same kind of game as to just NFT speculation, right? Like uh, to some degree, like if you own a CryptoPunk, that kind of feels similar as to owning like a little bit of like internet real estate because of the way that CryptoPunks are kind of treated as DeFi users, right? It's like I have a claim on a CryptoPunk, kind of feels the same. It's very, very speculative because we don't know if any of these virtual land real estates comes the canonical real estate. Like the reason why real estate in the real world is so uh, such an easy investment is because like there's not seven versions of real estate, like different dimensions of real estate. There's just actual real real estate. And it can't just be like forked or created. Exactly. Like this, right? right. So like virtual real estate, which we virtual estate, virtual estate uh, is there isn't one. There isn't one virtual estate. There are many, many, many virtual estates. So if you buy virtual estate, then you are speculating that that virtual estate comes becomes like the kind of shelling point of virtual estate. Uh, so uh, I'm not ready to start speculating in that world yet, um, but it's definitely going to be a thing. Virtual estate will absolutely be a real thing for sure. It's going to be ready player one, yep. right? Like mm -hmm. it's totally we're, we're moving to that world like uh, uh, I, I'm so I'm waiting. I'm looking at this. I think there are some pioneers who are much earlier. Mm -hmm. Maybe these are good deals. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not. I have no idea. But I'm sort of waiting myself, David, for that. Like, I I enter this world and like I immediately fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this is it. Right. I would use this. Mm -hmm. I want to come back here. I want to set up shop here. Mm -hmm. And I haven't. I can seen see that myself yet. retiring here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is so weird. Dystopian future that? though is something where somebody like some big company like you know Facebook or 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 Steam or Valve makes virtual down. real estate uh, and and that becomes like you know it's theirs like that I could see that happening as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not buying in those worlds, so good luck, guys. I don't think they'll sell them to you is the thing. Well, let's talk about this. This is the oh Bitcoin news. God. I think we're kind of struggling to find something on Bitcoin this week, actually. There's generally a lot, but right. this week was kind of a quiet week on Bitcoin. But the Bitcoin car is making headlines. <laughs> What's happening here? What is the Bitcoin car? Yeah, like a bunch of Bitcoiners crowdfunded sponsorship of like an Indy 500 car. Uh, and and funny, funnily enough, uh, NBC Sports Twitter account re reported that the Indy 500 averaged a, uh, I don't know what TAD is, but 5.5 million viewers making it the most watched Indy 500 in five years because there was a goddamn Bitcoin car. Like all the Bitcoiners all of a sudden start caring about <laughs> Indy 500 because there's a Bitcoin car. Uh, and then oh. Jack, Jack Mallers, who was on the DeFi panel with me at, at Coindesk Consensus event, I don't know why he was there. He represents a little crypto bank uh he goes hmm i wonder why the most popular car at the most uh watch indy 500 in the last five years arrives at the bitcoin conference tomorrow in miami to donate to bitcoin open source development open networks wins bitcoins wins uh and so like i guess congratulations to bitcoiners here's like the coolest news that's happened in bitcoin in the last seven days is a bitcoin car in indy 500 and it'll be at miami like uh congrats i guess yeah well I feel like so this feels like just um a poor man's version of Gitcoin, to be honest, because like I'm really <laughs> excited. Like I'm really excited that this goes to open source development, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that the community is coming around and like doing something good for a public good, which is Bitcoin protocol development, which is a public good, absolutely. But like, I don't know. It feels so weak sauce after you after you know about like Gitcoin and quadratic like funding and. What's going on in that economy to create self-sustainable public goods? It just feels weak sauce. Right. This is this is why we say it feels like Bitcoin, at least Bitcoin Maxis have kind of lost the plot, right? Because why are you so incredibly excited about a Bitcoin sponsored Indy 500 car when there is 
everything going on in DeFi like happening next door and you are purposefully not paying attention to that. Like, you know, you when I would have been plot, excited guys. about that. Yeah. Like it's from 2015, dude. Like that would have been exciting in 2015. That's what Dogecoin did it in 2014. Like Doge already <laughs> did this. <laughs> oh, Bitcoin. They're behind Doge. We're, ha <laughs> we're having a uh, Preston pitch on, oh, on Wednesday. God. Oh, that's gonna uh, be fun. so that's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a good. It's gonna be a good episode. I think that uh, hopefully it's gonna be open-minded, and um, we'll we'll both talk about these types of things. Um, I won't mention the Bitcoin car though. If you don't, I might make sure you don't. Okay. <laughs> no promises. <for laughs> no promises. <laughs> All right. Regulation. Uh, BitConnect. Remember BitConnect. BitConnect. Uh, <laughs> nice. Hey hey hey. <laughs> Uh, all right, the SEC charged the promoters of BitConnect, which includes a YouTuber, a few mm, YouTubers. Mm. I was not watching like crypto scams in, in YouTube in 2017, but like there were a lot of promoters of BitConnect. I guess the interesting thing here is they're finally being charged by right. the SEC. And David, One this bull market later. January, like January 2017, that's four years ago. Mm -hmm. It was more than four years ago. Right. I think that the take here is that um, regulators move slow. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm glad that they're targeting a complete scam in this case. I, yeah. This is actually protecting consumers. This is within the SEC's mandate. Good job, SEC. Like, seriously. Got I, I legitimately mean that. <laughs> um, but like four years. Right. Right. It takes regulators a long time to react to what's right. going on. Yeah. Sure. And, and like, should have gone to jail. Should have gone to jail. Two billion dollars. Yeah, that's that's beside the point. They wrecked people's lives. They should have gone to jail. Yeah, uh, but we got some memes out of it. <laughs> we did get some good memes. Public good. All right, <laughs> some good news from Balaji, our friend. So mm -hmm. there have been some disturbing news going on in India mm -hmm. about kind of central bank government crackdown on cryptocurrency. But this is some good news. Mm -hmm. The Reserve Bank of India is directing Indian banks to stop deplatforming crypto customers. That's what was happening. So if you're in India and you're using your bank account to do something in crypto, they would just deplatform you. Right. Sorry, yep. send you a Dear John letter. Like, sorry, you have no account here anymore. You've been disbanded. Um, here's a letter where like, the Royal Bank of India is saying we need to, the Reserve Bank of India, excuse me, is saying we need to stop doing that. So some good news there. Mm -hmm. And uh, people predicted this. Uh, I think Nick Carter really predicted this. Is like, oh yeah, you you ban Bitcoin, you're just gonna roll that back in a couple couple weeks or a month or so, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, when you when you ban money. Bitcoin, you actually just ban your citizens from engaging with Bitcoin. You don't actually ban Bitcoin. And also, there's money houses. to be made for these banks, sure. right? Yep. Like, are they reading the the Coinbase uh, SEC filings? <laughs> uh, I hope so. All right, some quick drive bys. As of today, this is from Anthony Sassano. The ETH2 Beacon Chain has been live for six months. Cool. Happy six months. Cool. Six months of Lindy under the belt uh, and getting closer and closer to the merge, maybe in five or six months later. Wow. No major events there. It's gone fairly smoothly. Um, all right, let's talk about this. So stablecoin company earning record levels of investment. This is, um, Circle. this is Circle. What's happening here? Yeah, Circle raised $440 million uh, from from uh, uh, investors, private investments from an array of private equity, institutional, and strategic Huge. investors. That's a, that's a large number. Uh, and this is just indicative of the tailwinds behind crypto dollars in DeFi. Why? Why is crypto dollars in DeFi such an awesome opportunity? It's because you're getting yields, consistent yields above like 8%. And like I'm getting yields as high as 20% on my crypto dollars, thanks to like Alchemix and, and Yearn, right? And so 
where are you getting 20% yields in dollar terms in the legacy world? Like you aren't. Uh, and so this is a massive opportunity for people who don't really care or want to own crypto assets, but they want to have dollar denominated yields, which is a large part of the world. Uh, this is what Circle's capturing right now. USCC is a great product, mm -hmm. uh, fantastic product. It's still banked, but mm -hmm. it's a great product. All right, let's. Justin Drake has a call out for us. He needs some help. Mm -hmm. What does he need help with, David? Yeah, he says that all of these different Ether logos, Ether characters that people use on Twitter, the uh, the uh, the Greek symbol Z, the the diamonds. He said they're all hacks. He goes, ETH deserves a Unicode character. In 2015, I helped get the Bitcoin Unicode character for B uh, BTC. Justin Drake asks you, the listener, I need help for a leader to take up the reins and follow the template. He already has the template. He wants you to fill it out and make your argument as to why Ether needs a Unicode character. If you want to take the reins on this and do something for Ethereum, which I maybe it's just a Unicode character, but like we would all use it, uh, that can be you. So if you are interested in taking up those reins, uh, go to this tweet in the show notes and and uh, file that form. David, Justin Drake helped get Bitcoin, the Bitcoin Unicode right. character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the shocking news to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fun fact. Go, Tri Justin. Like, write that down he, for trivia. He doesn't get thanked for that. Mm -hmm. um, all right. We're going to get back. We're going to be back with the takes in just a moment. But before we do, we want to tell you about the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash gobankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash gobankless.
All right, guys, we are back with the hot takes of the week. Let's start with this one from Koopa Troopa. He says this, crypto literally pays to always be online, literally getting paid mm -hmm. to be online. What does he mean, David? Yeah, so the world of crypto and the world of DeFi has really turned the Web2 model of extraction on its head, right? And so the way that DeFi apps compete is by rewarding users. And so to some degree, the more you have used DeFi apps, the more you have been rewarded. Uh, the average DeFi participant who came in at least in 2020 uh, got at least three airdrops currently worth at least like $40,000 in Uniswap, uh, one inch, tornado cash, ample forth, like the list goes on. And so, uh, and that's not the only thing, like you, there are a, a more instantiated versions of getting rewards. Basically, the more you use DeFi, the more you get rewarded. That's the new paradigm we are in. Web2 apps, they take from you. DeFi apps, they give to you. You just have to use them. Uh, and I actually used this tweet in uh, the uh, Bankless article that came out uh, yesterday, Thursday, uh, because I, I talked about the DAOs and the future of work. And one of the missions of DAOs is to lower the threshold for what viable good participation and contributions into DAOs are. Good DAOs will make that really, really easy for workers to contribute. Uh, and it's going to, and the bull case for DAO is that you just stumble into rewards. You just stumble into work and labor. Uh, and that is the future of Web3 work. Uh, and Koopa has this summed up in a tweet nicely. Crypto literally pays you to always be online. The more you are in crypto, the more you get paid. There you go. Good takes there. All right. Let's see this next one. Long or short civilization. That's the take. Long ETH is long civilization. Long Bitcoin is short civilization. Let me try to parse that out. I think mm -hmm. what this is saying is that's that's spicy. That's a spicy take. It's kind of spicy, right? So, like, if you are optimistic about the future of humanity, your asset is ETH. Mm -hmm. Progress, mm -hmm. like coordination, mm -hmm. growth. civilization, societal growth, a community improvement. Mm -hmm. um, if you are long Bitcoin, it's like being short civilization, right? Short like collaboration, doomsday. Mm -hmm. You know, dollar disappears right. nation states die mm -hmm. we go back to an era of less coordination collaboration where we need this gold-like asset mm -hmm. what do you think of that take no i'm not so that's exactly right think it's um, true? yeah so okay. like the people who are coming from the legacy world will feel feel weird saying this but but we're hearing this but bitcoin is the risk off asset bitcoin is specifically risk off everything like gold yeah, like, like gold, exactly, right? Like no one can take it away from you. You are completely independent, completely self-sovereign. You don't need to trust anyone. You don't have dependencies on anyone else. And that's also true for DeFi, but DeFi is much more. It's much more collaborative. It's like when we come together, even though we have self-sovereign money and I have my private keys, my private keys are mine and no one can take it away from me, we can still create more via collaboration, right? Amin Soleimani has this quote that, that's all, that stuck with me where he goes, uh, Bitcoin in times of war, but Ethereum in times of peace. Right. Uh, in peace times, we can collaborate and build. But like if people are in a, in a deflationary spiral or just like times of mistrust, that's where Bitcoin as an asset, the narratives and, and political alignment behind Bitcoin really, really shines. Bitcoin is the I don't need you asset and Ether and DeFi is the let's collaborate ecosystem. I think that last part resonated with me probably the most of mm -hmm. anything that was said and even this tweet, because I also I also do feel like um, Ethereum is like a network that mm -hmm. developers, researchers have said is, is designed to try to survive World War III, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It is designed to be a collaboration tool set and a money system when all of the other money systems fail, uh, when the nation state fails even. 
So it does have elements of like an Ethereum kind of like Citadel that's built apart from the, the requirements of the nation state does mm-hmm. live outside of it. And mm-hmm. yet what you said is also super true, which is like the theme of Ethereum is all about coordination. Mm-hmm. How can we pull capital together and, and, and do more together? Yes, there's lots of competition, but it's not as individualistic, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. So um, I guess I see both both sides of it. Um, I also think that that Bitcoin is in a weird way also a bet on technology because it's mm-hmm. certainly a bet on cryptography. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe not entirely short civilization. Bitcoin but like, is I like, Bitcoin is a coordination system, but it's a coordination system. So you don't have to coordinate with anyone else. It coordinates mm-hmm. for you. Ethereum is a coordination system that allows f- and propagates further coordination. And that's really the big difference is like the long tail of Bitcoin after after it coordinates for you is that you are done coordinating because Bitcoin did it for you. Ethereum is like, let me create platforms and software and applications that allow for further coordination, right? The, the coordination extends out into the nth degree. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting take for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, here's another one. Justin Drake, again, making the, reca- the roll up twice. Mm-hmm. Price affects security, he says. I think that's the thrust of the argument. Now he's got a flow chart. Mm-hmm. I would have died for a flow chart like this in 2018, right. 2019, we were making the argument that price of ETH is so fundamental to the economic security mm-hmm. of the Ethereum network, and that was falling on deaf ears. But what is this flow chart showing us? Yeah, it's showing us all the different ways that if Ether price goes up, Ethereum benefits, right? And so he has, uh, you know, there's four main uh, factors that he has. Uh, one of the, the, the uh, I'll get to that part, part later, uh, legitimacy by f- performance, as in if Ether goes up and it continues to go up, there's some amount of legitimacy about that, uh, which attracts builders, which attracts on-chain activity which attracts more fee burn and more staking rewards, which makes Ether money money more sound, which makes you know staking inflows even better, which increases the cost of attack, which increases security uh, security uh, Ethereum security. Then there's more economic bandwidth, same path. Like then there's you know it's ETH stake appreciation and also the EF treasury. Like if if ETH, the just go look at the chart. I'm not going to try and explain all of it, but go look at the chart and it's a very concise way, very de- developer focused way of like illustrating the connection between ETH price go up and bullishness on humanity, which is, you know, Ethereum security. You know, the the level two analysis here is, uh, again, I, I strongly believe that the, the winning, the most economically secure money system, it's the core asset of that system has to be a store of value reserve asset mm-hmm. because you get so much of this for free mm-hmm. if your uh, asset is, is priced in the Justin Drake episode, we called it like the magic meme uh, property mm-hmm. where it gets some of this reserve currency monetary premium for free. Uh, so we're starting to see that with ETH. We've definitely seen it with Bitcoin. Let's do the Scott Lewis tweet. What's this saying? Yeah, so Scott Lewis is illustrating the connection between the security of a consensus layer and how much you should cost uh, pay for transactions, right? So he kind of makes up some numbers, but he goes, Ethereum mainnet, $50 for a transaction. Ethereum rollup, $2 for a transaction. That's like something like Arbitrum or Optimism. And then he goes, Ethereum sidechain, uh, uh, 2 
0.002 per so a 2.2 pennies for one transaction if you're on a side chain and that's like matic right and he goes different price points for different levels of security and that's really what you're paying when you pay your transaction fees you are paying yep. for security uh and the if uh, it's a good rule of thumb to understand that when you are paying a transaction fee on matic versus versus arbitrum versus wherever that that is uh, the amount of fee you are paying is uh, functionally an extrapolation as to the security of how secure that transaction is and so uh the actual the real take here that he, he finished off with is that you know different price points for different levels of security but he says complementary options will make all of ethereum work better and so he's totally. alluded, alluding to this symbiosis between all of these things offering different options for the markets like maybe a two dollar transaction on rollup is actually too expensive for your you know super high throughput micro transaction app and so therefore you need to go to a side chain but more economic activity is bestows more economic activity right and so having optionality with its security levels is allows people to choose what they want and what it works best for them both as users and as DeFi apps yeah, it's all great. And like, it, that's the thing. It's not, it's not rollups versus side chains. It's mm -hmm. like, or doing it's not mainnet versus rollups. We're doing them all. And they're, they're all going to uh, not compete against one another, but they're all going to be synergistic, right? I'm starting to think of Ethereum less as just like one main chain and more of like this ecosystem mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of chains, like an entire economy. Susano like calls it a nexus. Yes, he calls it an economic nexus, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what it is. But when you say, what is Ethereum? Now, what is Ethereum has to extend to all mm -hmm. of the ERC-20s on crypto exchanges, has to extend to Arbitrum and Optimism, mm -hmm. all of the rollups that they create, has to extend to all of the side chains. Maybe at some level, it also extends into like things like Binance Chain, though that is less economically linked. It still uses the EVM. So what is Ethereum? Mm -hmm. it's all of these things. Mm -hmm. It's like this internet of chains. I guess we're stealing another Cosmos uh, meme, but um, <laughs> there you go. All right, what's this? What's this take from um, Suzu? Yeah, Suzu talking about the nature of decoupling. Uh, he wrote. He writes. Those who doubt decoupling needs to read more history. 99.5% of coins from the previous era are worthless, and the 0.5% that are worth something are up 10,000x since then. <laughs> uh, it turns out decoupling, it actually has an Investopedia page. That's news to me. Uh, and so what Suzu is saying is that, you know, decoupling, not a crypto term. Uh, I, I thought that was like a decoupling. What does it mean to you? Uh, so like Ether and Bitcoin have largely had similar price action throughout its history and to this day, yeah. but yeah. we are seeing some some decoupling and that's why we were paying attention to the ETH BTC ratio, right? Like ETH BTC hovered between like 0.18 and 0.3 for years. And now we're up to 0 0.72, 0 0.072, right? That's a decoupling. It's when one, one asset takes off and the other either stays stagnant or right. like dies. It goes Un Uncorrelated, right? Uncorrelated assets. From a price perspective. Right. And yeah. Su Suzu is saying that the fundamentals is why things decouple. Uh, and perhaps that's what's happening. I think that's such a good take and it's something to remember because this doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even yep. happen in like the months uh, timeline. This happens mm -hmm. over years. It mm -hmm. almost happens in every kind of narrative cycle. But... When we see things that have survived, like um, uh, Bitcoin, Satoshi's vision, and some like, how is that still around? Right. Or like, even like Litecoin uh, to some extent, how is that still around, right? Um, I think what it is, is it's survivorship bias mm -hmm. because we forget the thousands of other mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies. Peer coin? That Feather coin, yeah, like exactly. Coin. All of these colored coin, like all of these things Bitcoin, died. Bitcoin, gold, in the last Bitcoin, cycle. diamond. 
we don't even remember them, but they were a thing. They had their moment, right? But they died. They were part of that 99.5% of coins that did not survive. (laughs) Yeah, the previous era. Do you remember Dragon Chain? Chain, I put out this tweet last week, 2017, like, what's the most embarrassing thing you invested in, right? And I got all these answers. R-Chain, Dragon Chain. Dragon Chain. There's this theme of like, oh my God, did you really? (laughs) Somebody said Disney was about it. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm in. (laughs) Dragon Chain gang. Um, Yeah, so like, anyway, these are all the coins that died last cycle. And these fundamentals do matter. Mm -hmm. They do matter. This is what Suzu is saying. So make sure you're tracking Mm -hmm. fundamentals, not just the trade. All right, let's move. What are you excited about? Okay, David, you are getting ready to board a flight. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are you excited about, man? Going to Miami for the world's largest Ethereum meetup event ever thrown (laughs) by Bitcoin Conference 2021. Are you wearing that shirt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Shalom. This is is the shirt I got when I uh, did my uh, ETH uh, triple point asset talk in Tel Aviv. Unrelated. Uh, But I got my BAP shirt in the bag, so the BAP shirt's coming out. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. And so it's it's really funny. I I, I got these I think I got the right numbers from uh, CK, who works at uh, Bitcoin Bitcoin. BTC Media, which is throwing the Bitcoin 2021 conference, he said that there are 8,000 people attending the conference and 30,000 people going to Miami. And so there are, there, if, if you extrapolate and kind of think that like maybe there's more Ethereans going to Miami who aren't actually going to the conference, they're just going to the Miami as a shelling point because everyone else is going to Miami. You're going to go to the conference though, right? I, if I, if it's convenient, <laughs> <laughs> what? If it's, what are you going to be doing the whole time? Well, I, I'm hanging out with my friends. Like it's, it's a, it, we're all, everyone's going to Miami. So I'm going there too. Like that's, that's what happened here. Uh, so there is like the D yacht party, which is thrown by a bunch of DeFi teams, like slingshot upshot, like a, a bunch of other teams have a, have a yacht party. Uh, so I'm going to that, going to the Diplo concert, uh, with, with a bunch of like, I'm going to meet Koopa for the first time. Lucas is going to meet Lucas for the first time. Uh, and, and so, uh, and Luke. And so there's actually going to be three bankless LLC, uh, employees at, uh, Miami uh, and uh, Ryan, we won't see you there though. No, 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 no. I do not. I do not like to travel as much. I'm the like the team calls me the bankless boomer. It's like mm-hmm. I'm just you know happy at home. Um, like you guys have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, screen share me in or something. Mm-hmm. Let me know how it goes. But like I'm okay. So I had heard that you cannot actually talk about other chains while you're attending the conference. Yeah. So is, is that true? Like, can you wear? Uh, apparel from other chains? I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So yeah, B- BTC Media put out this email that said, uh, please, if, if you are if attending the conference, please keep your conversations on Bitcoin themed conversations because this is a Bitcoin only conference. Uh, and so it's one thing to like make a Bitcoin only conference. That's great. Uh, I, but like yes. Speakers... Re- requesting your the attendees to keep their conversations focused to Bitcoin, a little bit controversial, a little bit controversial. Well, we'll see what happens to you, David, when you wear that shirt. Yeah, so that's the other experiment. So like Bitcoiners, like while they're kind of nasty on Twitter, they're a very loving like group of people, but it's kind of amongst themselves, right? Bitcoiners love other Bitcoiners. Uh, and like I've been, I've been- You are a Bitcoiner though, aren't you? Sure, or yeah. You well, you're not a Bitcoiner? depends on who you ask, right? Um, and I've definitely I, worn a, my Ethereum shirt inside of a bunch of, like, inside of a Bitcoiner event where there was like literally 50 Bitcoiners around and I was the one Ethereum people and, and people knew who I was. Like Bankless was pretty big at that time. Um, but that was when the ETH Bitcoin ratio was like at 0.02. Now it's at 0.07. Uh, and so oh. like, I'm, I'm going to test the waters to see like, are they all that loving as they say that they are? Like, we'll find out. Hey, you know what Vance Spencer said on the podcast? Hmm. Uh, 
guys listen to that one Monday. It's great. The flippening of ETH over Bitcoin is actually good for Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm going to bring that, that one argument. out. I'll let you know how that goes. Oh, really? You're going to try that? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> I tweeted well, it this out. Be fun. <laughs> let me know how it goes. Yeah, social I'll be, experiments. I'll be interested here. Left and right. Yeah, mm-hmm. very fun. All right, Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm I'm excited about Arbitrum, man. I'm excited about rollups in general. Like layer two is finally here. I was worried that when we, we had Arbitrum on on Tuesday that they were going to say something like, yeah, we released to mainnet, but you know, it's going to be another six months before the DeFi apps are up and like mm-hmm. it, you know, some complexity here. We've just been disappointed so many times right. with layer two and with rollups, but- um, No longer. No longer. Mm-hmm. It's like really here. And I'm excited about that. The second thing I'm excited about I sort of picked up in that conversation too is Arbitrum's launching with just one one chain right now. But they could launch with a dozen chains. Mm-hmm. Like they could launch with 30 chains, 40 chains. You could have a DeFi chain, an NFT chain. You could have so many chains, as many chains as you want, and all at the same time. So and and uh we t- we talked about this with the Polygon SDK. They they can produce a whole bunch of different versions of of side chains, mm-hmm. right? So like now we have all of this additional real estate. We have all of this block space, and I've you know we talked about um, layer two hitting crypto like a tidal wave. Like I, I literally, I this is going to be a wave of new apps that weren't previously possible on main chain. That's going to be part of the tidal wave, and a wave of new users. Mm-hmm. We're going to start talking uh, about monthly active users a lot more rather than total locked value. And that's going to be exciting. So more people onboarded through layer two. This is really important for crypto. um, And I couldn't be more excited. We'll have to have optimism on too. Mm -hmm. I think they're launching in in July. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just really excited about layer two summer, baby. Mm -hmm. Still excited about it. And this is what Vitalik called um, uh, expressivity escape velocity, right? Like just make the base chain a little bit more expressive and all of a sudden you have an an infinite number of options that you can build on top of it. Uh, And that's what we are hopefully on the cusp of. A Cambrian explosion of available trustless block space and new possible economic activities. Like I said earlier, like all of a sudden, like microtransactions are back on the table. Like microtransactions used to be a thing. Like Realty, when I used to work at Realty, we used to send daily rent out every single day at base base layer Ethereum, right? Back when when Gwei was one, gas was one Gwei. That got immediately pushed out. But like now we can kind of return to some of those crazy use cases that we uh, hypothesize about, but never actually got to. Ryan, earlier in the show, I talked about uh, the tokens that I think are particularly well-suited towards a layer two uh, a DeFi oh, yeah, layer, layer two edition. What you got? I, I talked about SushiSwap, right? A team that integrates really, really fast and aggressively and moves really, really quickly was also born in DeFi summer itself. And so is a DeFi summer like asset, you know, born and bred in DeFi summer. Uh, the other thing that I have my eye on is Ave. Again, moves really fast, integrates really, really quickly. Has already integrated on Polygon, so already knows what's up with at layer two. Uh, and so I've got my sights on Ave, YFI. If there is a bunch of yield to be had on Ethereum, Yearn is supposed to be able to capture it. Again, another yield, baby. another yep. DeFi summer token. Uh, so like yep. Sushi, Sushi, Ave, and, and YFI. That's kind of where I have my eyes on as for for tokens that are going to be particularly well suited to capture a DeFi summer layer two edition. So the theme here is blue chips going to layer two, right? Blue chip DeFi uh, projects with great teams, the good layer two strategies, right? Mm-hmm. I'm also curious to see what new things we will see that are actually born in layer two. Right. 
like mm -hmm. new creations, new mm -hmm. protocols will mm -hmm. be born, not on the main chain, but inside of these layer twos. That kind of brings me to the meme of the week, David, talking about birth. Let's do it. You want to get to the meme of the week? Are Let's we ready? It. Yeah, I think we're Folks ready for ready the meme of the week. All right. I'm sharing screen. Here's the meme of the week by our friend Mariano Conti. What are we looking at? <laughs> for for a panel comic, uh, first is a uh, like a, a, a CGI render of a pregnant lady with a baby inside of her, and the baby is crossing its fingers, saying, "God, please Ethereum, please Ethereum, please Ethereum." And then next picture is a baby. It looks like it just got born, and the baby says, "Hello, sir. <laughs> where am I?" And then the next next panel is Binance Smart Chain, <laughs> and then the fourth panel is the baby, just like just the look of just like death, just like oh no. Zoom on the baby's face. <laughs> so good. Oh no, I'm so born good. in Binance Smart Chain. Oh no. <laughs> but look, a lot of these new applications, new protocols, probably mm -hmm. the next gen ones will actually be born into layer twos. Mm -hmm. So hopefully mm -hmm. they get a good layer two <laughs> and not a bad one. Mm -hmm. um, that's the meme of the week, folks. David, enjoy Miami. I will. Have fun. I will. Um, Shilling bankless, bankless left and right. Bankless listeners, David's mm -hmm. going to be in Miami. Uh, we're still going to do the recording, so regular schedule next week, mm -hmm. maybe some different scenery. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for hanging with us. This has been another roll-up. i got to end with the disclaimers as usual. Bitcoin and ETH are risky, so is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.